Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello and welcome to Pride Mix here at Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dusty. June is LGBTQIA plus Pride Month. And during the month of June, our episodes are called Pride Mixes. Pride Mix is a chance for us to dive deep into queer history and how it intersects with the national parks and the National Park Service's role as America's storyteller. Previously on Pride Mixes, we've highlighted and celebrated icons of queer history like Mabel Hampton and her work with the Lesbian Herstory Archives. Bayard Rustin and his work with Martin Luther King Jr. Marsha P. Johnson and her work as a trans rights activist with Star. And Stormé Delavere and her career as a drag king and her life as a prominent figure of New York's West Village. And while New York was certainly a major player in the landscape of queer history, it was not the only place in America where queer history was made. As many scholars have cited, queer activism in action often occurs in cities, since cities most of the time have larger populations. It is then probable that there would be larger populations of queer people, thus queer communities, and where there are queer communities, there is queer history, or herstory, or their story. Their story. In many of our previous Pride mixes, particularly last season, we covered many icons of queer history from the New York community. But for Pride Mix this year, we are specifically looking at icons from queer history from the San Francisco community. San Francisco, a place of many NPS sites, is on the traditional and stolen lands of the Ohlone people, and is often called the gay capital of the United States. It has a long, fascinating history about the development of its queer culture. In short, the early foundations of the city of San Francisco was due to the discovery of gold. It had a boom in population because everybody was looking for gold. And given a limited amount of government oversight, this laid the groundwork for a lot of sexual liberation and a culture of sex work. And since the population was mostly men, sexual liberation manifested most often in the form of men with other men. Okay, so let's talk about San Francisco for a second. Yeah, great. You've been to San Francisco. Twice. I've been, but we've not been at the same time. No. But s- maybe soon. Maybe. Right. Surprise. I did. 
<laughs> I loved San Francisco. I did too. I had a really great first experience. It was like one of the first trips I took right after starting teaching. On a spring break, I went by myself. This was when I first visited a national park. It's when I first saw Yosemite right. and which, you know, in the way back machine started this whole weird adventure we're on yeah, now. Yeah. Um, but I had a great time. I stayed in a really awesome hostel. I met a lot of wonderful people. We did, you know, these day trips to Yosemite and to uh, Muir Woods and to, I did a trip out to Napa, which was really awesome. And just exploring the city was really, really great. And then the second time I went back, I was just there for like a day or so. And it wasn't as magical as that first experience, but I also knew a lot of people out there. So it was great to be able to like explore a little out there. I went to San Francisco for the first time with two friends. I'd gone to LA to, uh, we, you know, were spending some time there seeing Mm -hmm. a friend who just moved there. And then all of us went up to San Francisco and drove a portion up Pacific Coast Highway. Mm -hmm which was so magical. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I remember it was, we all had to buy jackets because it was freezing cold. Like it was spring. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know. I lost count for the amount of people who were like, well, there's that quote. That's like the 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 coldest, the Mark Twain quote, the coldest summer I ever spent was in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, like you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody saying that (laughs) quote. You know what I mean? Yeah, somebody once said that to me. I think it's the coldest winter I ever spent was summer in San Francisco. It's something like that. Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, we went to, (laughs) I remember we like, somebody told us they were like, a friend was like, don't bike the Golden Gate Bridge. It's just so long. And we were like, oh, it was great. I really oh, enjoyed it. I kind of want to do that now. And oh. at the time I didn't do it, but it was really fun. And I guess you go into was... Sausalito and then you take the ferry back. It was real magical. Yeah, that's yeah. what I want to do. Yeah. I do want to do that. Yeah, we also went down. We saw the seals mm-hmm. and then at we Fisherman's went. Wharf. Yeah, we went around there. And uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, we had a great time. I remember yeah. I had just come out Mm -hmm. right before I'd gone on this trip. So it was your birthright trip. It was a birthright trip. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, 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 it was not. But anyway, we went to the Castro district and um, we went to the Harvey milk camera shop, Mm -hmm. which at the time and still technically right now for the time being was a site for the human rights campaign. Mm -hmm. And I remember my two friends were just like, they were like cutting up and laughing about something else. And I was like, this is a really important moment for me as a gay person. <laughs> so dramatic. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, what do you, what do you want? Serious. Do you want photographs? Do you want us to like have a moment of silence? What do you want? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, well, get back to us when you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had a blast in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I left my heart in San Francisco, no. but it was so much fun. Yeah. But you had some rice perhaps. <laughs> the San Francisco, San Francisco treat. treat. Mm-hmm. Right. Not an official sponsor. <laughs> now, let's dive into the life and legacy and icon of queer and San Francisco history, Margaret Chung. Margaret Chung was born in Santa Barbara, California in 1889. Her parents had moved from China in the 1870s. They moved during a time when many Chinese families were immigrating into the United States, also inspired by the gold rush. That ended in 1882 with the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act. It was the first recorded law in American history that named a nationality in a ban. 
She attended Southern California Medical School. In her class of fellow med students, she was the only person of color and also the only woman. When she graduated, she was the first American-born female doctor of Chinese descent in the United States. While in med school, she began dressing in men's clothing, and she called herself Mike. When it came time for hospital residencies and internships, she was denied over and over again due to sexism, racism, and presumably her gender expression. She was able to get an internship under Dr. Bertha Van Hoosen at a woman's hospital in Chicago before working at a railroad hospital in Los Angeles, where she was able to develop her skills as a plastic surgeon. This allowed her to open her own plastic surgery practice and soon work with many Hollywood celebrities as their plastic surgeon. Soon, she moved to San Francisco to help open the first Western hospital in Chinatown, where she was the head of OBGYN and pediatrics. It was during a specific time in San Francisco's Chinatown's history when the older generation of Chinese Americans more often sought more traditional Eastern approaches to medicine, while the younger generation of Chinese Americans sought more Western physicians. While in San Francisco, she had a relationship with lesbian poet Elsa Giblow and vaudeville performer Sophie Tucker. Okay, so... We've heard Sophie Tucker's name before. Right. From um, right. Roxy. Right. Right. Sophie Tucker and will Sophie shit I know. Sophie Tucker will shit I know to see, see her name get, get built below. below. Right. Roxy Hart. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So who is Sophie Tucker? Because I don't know. She is a very famous vaudeville performer. Oh, okay. That like was so known at that time. Okay. So like. And Elsa Giblow was also an out lesbian poet at the time. Oh. So like. She was having relationships with like some pretty well known, you know, well circulated people mm-hmm. because of, you know, the work that they did. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's a little bit of queer history I didn't know. While in San Francisco, Chung played an active role in World War II in many ways. She was an avid supporter of the United States. One way she did this was by organizing rice bowl parties in over 700 cities. Here is some background about rice bowl parties from K. Scott Wong from the article Parades, Pickets, and Protest, published in Humanities, the magazine for the National Endowment of the Humanities. Quote, In San Francisco, the party started with a parade down Grant Avenue and continued with cultural entertainment that lasted into the late evening. More than 200,000 people lined the streets of Chinatown to enjoy fashion shows, dancing, Chinese and Western music, theatrical entertainment, a mock air raid, and a dragon dance. Everyone who entered Chinatown was encouraged to buy and wear a humanity button that sold for 50 cents or else risk being tried by a kangaroo court of volunteer judges and fined up to $100. Throughout Chinatown, locals in Chinese clothes and mock beggars and children riding on floats held out alms bowls and asked for donations to fill the rice bowls of China, hence the name Rice Bowl Parties. On that one day, San Francisco's Chinatown collected $55,000. This event was so successful that a second one was held for three days in 1940, raising $87,000, and a third for four days in 1941, raising $93,000." In addition to this, she also recruited many American soldiers, often pilots, 
specifically to assist China during World War II. In this way, she created a network of men that she treated as their doctor, connected them with military jobs, and she hosted them at her home for dinners that included guests like playwright Tennessee Williams, an actress, icon, and star Tallulah Bankhead. She referred to this network as her adopted children, and they got the nickname Fair-Haired Bastards. She was given the nickname Mom Chung. During this time, women were not allowed to join the U.S. military, and this was something that Chung wanted to change. She joined the cause to lobby Congress to create WAVES, which stood for Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Services, specifically to allow for volunteer service in the U.S. Navy. After a successful campaign and passing of WAVES, Chung herself was rejected from the program when she applied. The official statement said it was because of her age, but it was more likely to do with her race, sexuality, and gender expression. Waves did pave the way for the integration of women into the U.S. military. However, full integration did not happen until 1978. After World War II, Margaret Chung soon retired and lived in a house that was purchased for her by her adopted sons. She died in 1959 at the age of 69. Quote, I used to be ladylike and deferential, but found it didn't pay. Everywhere I was stepped on. Now I treat them rough. They lap it up. End quote. Margaret Chung. The sources for today's Pride Mix include the section from NPS's LGBTQ heritage theme study entitled Breathing Fire, Remembering Asian Pacific American Activism in Queer History by Amy Siyoshi, the profile of Margaret Chung from unladylike2020.com and pbs.org. This has been Pride Mix by Gays at the National Parks, the podcast, and we're here to remind you to pride early and pride often, and that your pride means nothing unless it is intersectional. Gays at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gays at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gays at the National Parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram and on our website is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. <laughs>